Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Amen. Everybody wants a prophet in their life now. Man, we got prophets all over Facebook, all over Instagram and Twitter. Man, they, they ain't prophesying, they're prophet lying. That's what they're doing. They prophet lie all the time. They ain't got nothing to say but blessing. But I'm going to tell you, a real prophet of God won't just bless you, but he'll, he'll straight up tell you how the cow eats the cabbage. He's going to, a real prophet of God ain't just going to sit there and guess until he finds something wrong with you that God's going to heal. He's going to tell you some things to straighten up. I've had some prophets in my life come to me and say, Thou doest well, but there's one thing thou lackest. And I thank God for a true prophet. And this prophet stood before Ahab, a very powerful man. And he said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there's not going to be dew, nor would there be a drop of rain until I say. I think God was serious about his people repenting and turning from sin and turning toward him amen and so it may sound a little out of context to my, my my subject title but i want to talk about tonight god's school for greatness god's school for greatness now now i want to if you are serving god to be mediocre this isn't for you tonight you just nod your head and amen every once in a while now you'll have me fooled if you're just if you're just content living for God at the level you are just give me a good old Baptist nod and and a good old Methodist wave every once in a while and, and we'll be fine you'll have me but if you want greatness in the kingdom of God I'm gonna preach to you about God's school for greatness amen because I believe there's greatness in this house. And God wants to tap into you for greatness in his kingdom. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We know that it is already anointed. And Lord, we know that there is everlasting life in your word. And Lord, I pray that I would somehow be able to a word to somebody that is tired of being in the middle floor, tired of being stuck on an unmoving escalator, that they are ready to continue their climb to greatness. And I pray before we leave, somebody gets a fire lit in their bones to excel to the greatness of the kingdom to which you've called them to. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You thank the Lord before you're seated tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
Look at somebody and say, I want to be great in God's kingdom. You can be seated. It's June. Uh, school years passed for most, if not all. And most who have graduated, uh, we're going to graduate, have graduated, or about to graduate. Those leaving high school have already filled out their admissions or you're planning on going this fall you probably already should have uh, I'm thankful we got a couple of young people applying to uh, CLC in Stockton for Bible College this fall semester and I'm very proud of them and uh, if you're going to go to college or university uh, let me tell you if you haven't already filled out the admissions form you're probably too late so get it in most Ricky tick while there's still time okay because it's that season of, of filling out to go to a higher level of education. I, I recently read about a young man who had received a scholarship. And scholarships are not uncommon, but he had received a scholarship from uh, Houston County Medical Society. And they gave him a scholarship that was of a value of, of over $100,000. And it would immediately, entirely finance his way through medical school for him to become a physician, amen, and, uh, which, is, which is a tremendous thing. People who know about colleges say that gaining the very entrance to certain schools around the country is very important. There's a lot of hoops you've got to jump through just to get in the school. It's not as simple as just vacation and then being accepted. There's things you have to do to be accepted, and, and, and rightfully so. If I filled out an application and they accepted me into Yale, my opinion of Yale would drop drastically, which would be very hard because it's already pretty low as it is. One may apply to Ivy League schools to get into Harvard or Princeton or Columbia and so on. And while these schools don't assure immediate success, Having gone to one of those schools will certainly increase your chances of success in landing a job outside of college because of the, the time-tested and honored tradition of the education level of these schools. If you were an engineer and you went to MIT versus a community college, uh, chances are you're going to get a much better job opportunity with MIT on your degree. Amen. We're working on a program right now. It's kind of a MIT program, ministry and training. So if you graduate ministry and training, you will have graduated MIT. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. It doesn't guarantee success, but it, it advances you in an area that is, is a whole lot easier than if you were at a lesser prestigious university. And much value has been placed on education especially in the last several decades. And I don't want to get on my rant that I have. I think the value of post-high school education has been so reflated, inflated in the last few decades to the point where we brainwashed our kids that if they don't get a four-year degree, something's wrong with them. Um, but I tell our young people, there's nothing wrong if you don't get a four-year degree. Go, go learn to weld. Be an HVAC technician. Be a plumber. They'll make great money, and your friends will still be in their seventh year of college figuring out what they want to major as. 
you'll be in your third year working full-time, making more money than they'll make in the next 15 years. So, no, you got to follow your heart when he comes. Well, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> well, if your heart tells you to be a rodeo clown, uh, you better make plans for retirement early. We've lied to a generation of young people telling them that if you get a four-year degree, it'll guarantee you success. And they get in the university. And how many of you know that have flipped degrees multiple times? Not that that's wrong, but they end up becoming full-time students for 15 years. Then we burden them down with, with school loans that they can't get out from underneath. And they said, well, they don't know what they're getting into. And so we need to give it to them for free. And then people like me and you that didn't go to a four-year degree, then we're penalized to pay for their bad choices. But they don't know what they're getting into at 18 or 19, but yet a seven-year-old can determine what gender they are. Can't have it both ways. We, we tell them that if you get this, then it'll guarantee success in life, and it, and it although over the long term it will help it doesn't guarantee anything but an opportunity and much value has been placed on on advanced education especially in ivy leagues but in addition to ivy league schools there are business schools business schools around the nation that have garnered great reputations turning out competent graduates there are medical schools that have excelled with the demands that they have placed upon the students. They come out of certain schools and medical fields and STEM fields and, and they turn out competent young people, amen, and they end up making a difference in the world. In our area alone, we, have, we, have, we are blessed. We have several schools just, just for engineering alone. We have a graduate over here from UC Davis has a great engineering program. Not too far down the road is Stanford. Not too far past that is there's Berkeley and there's all of these areas that they have great programs specific for these things but just a degree doesn't guarantee success but to get the degree you got to go through the school these schools attract the sharpest minds and intros, uh that are put upon them are more strenuous than 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 say you know Bubba University to suggest someone drive across the nation and drive down to the edge of the Sacramento, San Francisco, Bay Area. And I would ask them to go to a little town called Winters. And there we threw up a tent in the middle of a parking lot. And we called it uh, Two Eggs Technical Institute. I don't think that they're going to drive very far to go to Two Eggs Technical Institute to get a degree in anything. It doesn't really matter if they offered a great medical program under that name. It doesn't matter if they had a great engineering program under that name because I guarantee you, Brother Nate Wasson's not going to go get a degree at Two Eggs Technical Institute. Because we tend to be serious about the name of our universities and the locations of those schools. We have a tendency to be serious about who they are and their their past and and are they qualified and have they turned out enough people that are successful you look at a school and if they if they consistently turn out failures then you probably don't want to go to that school what I want to try to tell you tonight is 
is God is very serious about his school. God's very serious about his school and in his graduate program. It is in his schools that we are shaped for life if we're willing to humble ourselves to the classes that he wants to teach. His universities use two methods that are incredibly and entirely unpopular to us. For the two methods that God uses in his school of greatness is obscurity and isolation. Say that with me. Obscurity and isolation. Furthermore, some of his greatest results have been gained from these two methods. Yet no matter how much we know it, anytime he puts us in the class of obscurity or isolation, we want to drop out of school. But the greatest people to ever walk this earth went through those classes of obscurity and isolation. Abraham was trapped in the obscurity of Ur and then wandering about in a wilderness of isolation. Joseph was confined in the obscurity of a servant and then locked up in the isolation of prison. David was confined in the obscurity of the youngest child and locked up in the isolation of a pasture where he learned to fight, he learned to pray, and he learned to worship because even while he was in the pasture watching sheep, school was in session. Paul was sent to the desert of isolation north of Damascus. Amos linked to the obscurity of the fig gathering and the isolation of his prophetic calling. And so it was the case with Elijah. Elijah shows up in a very dark time in Israel's history because Ahab provoked God more than any other king had provoked God. He provoked God every time he turned around. In 1 Kings 16 and 33, it said, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that went before him. In other words, let me break it down in, in modern vernacular. Nobody ticked God off like Ahab did and did it more consistently, and nobody made him angrier, quicker than all all of the kings that, that went before him. And he was not so much a wicked man as he was a weak man. Let me say that again. It wasn't that he was a wicked man per se as much as he was a weak man. Let me just tap into Sunday for a moment. God can't stand weak men. Don't shout me down when I'm teaching the truth. Don't let a spirit of feminism rise up against God's word. God cannot stand a weak man. That's why he kicked Adam out of the garden. That's why Ahab provoked him. Because God can't stand a man that's not willing to lead. He became the very, he became the pump of a very crafty and unscrupulous and cruel devious woman. He fell under the wicked sway of Jezebel's spirit. After Ahab had married this woman of Phoenician descent, he immediately set about to destroy Israel. She began to manipulate him to destroy Israel. I want to tell you something. Wickedness is one thing. Weakness is another. 
Wickedness can be repented of. You can get over it like that. Weakness is a symptom that's rotten to the core. That it takes some time to get that out. And there's two classes for it. Obscurity and isolation. Jezebel came in and built a temple to Astari and Jezreel. She built a commune that supported 450 priests and prophets of Baal. She built a temple in Samaria. She tore down the altars of Jehovah at Carmel and replaced them with shrines and groves. She began to persecute the priests and prophets of Jehovah throughout the land with the fury possessed by hell and Satan himself. She hated everything of God and he was a pitiful, weak man. And every day his eyes opened, he provoked God because he would not stand up. But here comes Elijah in the midst of all of this. It is doubtful that Elijah would have chosen the path of obscurity that God had planned for him. In fact, it's probable that very few men on the earth would have chosen this path of obscurity when resistance comes. Most of us are unwilling to admit it, but we are quite proud as human beings. And that's why God has to take us through schools like obscurity and isolation to pull us into a usable condition for him. Because none of us want to be humbled and none of us us want to go into obscurity and none of us want to go into isolation but in God's kingdom greatness is not accomplished by how good looking you are how intelligent you are how talented you are how skilled you are how bright you are who your family is how much money you have but in the kingdom of God greatness always goes through the graduate program of isolation and obscurity Back in 2004, Gordon McDonald, who's a favorite author of mine, wrote a, wrote a book, a little book. It's not a very large book. It's called A Resilient Life. And in this book, he tells a story of a coach and a teacher by the name of Marvin Goldberg who changed his life in a great way. McDonald said that he tried out for football in high school, but he was too small and too skinny and that the coach did not want him. And so he called the track coach to get rid of him. In the early stages of his running days, he said that Coach Goldberg put him on an individual training plan that would involve him having to run many miles a day all alone and by himself. He would go out to the track and he would read off of a white bulletin for his plan for the day. Sometimes it would include uh, running two or three miles. Sometimes it included running the 400 meter ten times. Other days it would, uh, it would mean running up hills over and over again numerous times. He would try to beg off because of a headache or sniffles or shin splints or the famous line, huffing and puffing that we all used in athletics. I think I'm dying, Coach. I'm starting to see spots. The world is spinning. But Coach Goldberg would always tell him, now, Gordy, if you will just get out there and warm up, you're going to feel much better when you loosen up. McDonald then related that his coach wasn't a negotiator. Amen. He had plans for his runners, and he refused to negotiate with them on what his plans were for them because they were the student, he was the teacher. They were the learning athlete and he was the coach. He did not have time to explain his plans. 
He did not have time to convince them of his plans. And he did not give ear to their complaint. He said, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. Amen. Actually, the coach was not planning for the day as much as he was training these young men for life. There would come a time when greater responsibilities would demand that they ignore their sniffles, their headaches, and many other distractions to do what needed to be done in life. One of these things that running on the track alone and hidden away from everyone else taught McDonald was that uh, was that to quit would make it a little easier if he quit today it would make it a little easier to quit the next day or at the next opportunity it was through the obscurity of running around a little track at Stony Brook Prep School in northern, northern New York that summoned a champion from within Gordon McDonald it would prepare him to win a state championship later before he graduated and it would teach him much greater lessons in life later on for him. Gordon McDonald said that uh, there were four major lessons that he learned from training alone and by himself. He said number one, to run alone summons great responsibility, great possibilities from the heart and mind. He said number two, to run alone will cause one to look back over the track he has covered and learned from yesterday. Number three, to run alone taught him to love self-discipline and to be aware of the temptations of self-indulging and cheating. And number four, to run alone would cause one to appreciate the power that comes from a team when it's time to run with a team. Listen to me, running alone is one of life's greatest challenges. It's one of the hardest things we can do is run alone, but it can also also be one of God's greatest blessings in our life. If we learn to be faithful over few things, he makes us ruler over many. Because when you learn to serve God alone and in obscurity, when you learn to serve God in isolation, it's easier to serve God on the grand stage. Look at the lessons of obscurity and loneliness in the life of Elijah. When, he, when we look at Elijah, there are a few lessons that came from his own obscurity and loneliness. Number one, they teach us dependence on God. They teach us dependence on God. Some things you're meant to go through by yourself. Now, don't get mad at me. But you don't need to be posting all your junk on social media. I feel an owl running hitting me right now. You ain't got to put all your business out on Facebook all the time. Some of that stuff God's wanting you to walk through by yourself. And because you're used to having pity parties, you're hanging up streamers and trying to get everybody to get. No, no. Some things God wants you to walk through alone. There would come numerous times in Elijah's life that he would be alone. He would face the overwhelming difficulties alone with God. The path of obscurity was good for him because it would teach him not to let loneliness rattle him because eventually in his ministry, he was going to face some of the most lonely times a man could go through because in that loneliness, God was building character in that man because one day he would stand face to face with 
Ahab in the royal courts alone. He would watch at the brook and, and, and watch it dry up alone. He would have to ask the widow of Zarephath for her last meal alone. He would face death and pray for the death of a child and he did it alone. He would openly rebuke King Ahab and he did it alone. He would face the wicked priests of Baal and he did it alone. He would mock the prophets of Baal and he did it alone. He would have to repair the broken down altar and did it alone. He would have to pray for the fire to fall from heaven. And with 87 words by himself, he prayed and the fire fell from heaven. He would have to marshal the people of God to destroy the prophets of Baal alone. He would have to pray for rain alone. He would have to face the doubt of a servant who saw through faithless eyes alone. He would run 17 miles to Jezreel real while Ahab rode in a chariot and he did it alone. He would battle depression under a juniper tree and he did it alone. He would be ministered to by angels and by the voice of God for direction and he did it alone and by himself. And if you're ever going to be great in God, you better learn to deal with loneliness. You want greatness, but you want you want the choir. You want greatness, but you want a crowd. You want greatness, but you want everything to be easy. You want greatness, and you want everything to be tiptoeing through the tulips. No, God's going to send you to a desert. You've got to learn to serve God alone. No matter how you look at it. There's got to be times, times in your life when you are willing to face down the calamities of life by yourself. I know we're not shouting over this tonight because you want me to say, oh, I'll always be there for you. The church will always be there to pat you on the back, but sometimes God don't want them to. Sometimes you need to sweat it out by a brook all by yourself. And listen to me, some, some of the reasons you're not, you're not getting to the next level is because you can't face that giant without people on each side of you. And God said, no, some giants were meant to be killed by yourself. This is why private prayer is so important. This is why wrestling in prayer is so important. This is why fasting for a breakthrough is so important. This is why meditation in the Word of God is so important. Because all of these avenues are generally hidden away somewhere from the prying eyes of the unsanctified. It is in these times that you'll find great dependence on God. I know, I know some people, they pray great. I, I don't know who they are. Well, I mean, I know who they are, but it, it would do me no good to say who they were or to hint but it's easy to tell people that know how to pray here but have no prayer outside here you may be fooling everybody else but you ain't never going to skip a grade in God's school I hope you hear me tonight 
because God's calling somebody to greatness in this place. And there is no attended course. There is no shortcut to this. He will let you grind it out. Because there's mistakes we'll make that God wants you to make alone. I learned how to preach alone. I learned how to pray alone. I learned how to be used of God alone. I learned how to prophesy alone. I'm glad I didn't learn in front of everybody the first time. Then I'm glad I had a, a, a voice of a pastor that would help me through it. Because number two, they will teach us humility. See, the first lesson of, of obscurity is that it teaches us dependence on God. But the second lesson of obscurity is that it teaches us humility. When Elijah was fighting all of these battles that we have mentioned, the fact is that he immediately understood that any victory or any deliverance must come from the hand of God, not himself. Is this okay for a Tuesday night? As soon as he opened his mouth, he knew that if he was going to get out of this, it was going to be because of God and God alone. See, sometimes God's going to put you in a position where nothing else is going to work but him. If the job is going to be complete, then God is going to have to step in and bring a remedy to this situation. God needs man for one thing, to be in proper position for the power of God to channel itself through the life of an individual. That's it. He's just looking for a funnel. That's it. He's looking for a conduit to flow through. That's all. That's it. The funnel don't get credit. The power cord to the piano don't get credit for the music. Oftentimes the keyboard don't get credit for the music. It's the musician. God's the musician. You're the piano. That's all he's looking for. We have some of the best music there is, and I've never, not one time, seen anybody walk over to this piano and go, Great job, Yamaha Mode XF8. You want to know why? That's not the purpose of that. The purpose of that is to be still and just be available. You only hear from this thing a maximum of an hour a week. The rest of the time it sits in darkness all alone and by itself. Are you hearing me tonight? God's looking for an instrument. Quit getting it confused. You're not the musician. You're the instrument. When flesh starts exalting itself, the Spirit of God begins to taper off. 
right? Because really the only time you notice that is when it ain't working right. Hmm? When it gets a short in it. When it's got a glitch. And the musician's trying to hit buttons to make it work right. And here we are, God, trying to mash buttons to make us work right. Because we wanted the focus to be on us. We wreck it when we try to make the focus about us. That's why Romans 7 and 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Romans 8 and 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. If we allow flesh to rule us, deadness of spirit and purpose will ultimately come in and ruin our life. But if we're willing to submit to the work of the Holy Ghost, there is a day coming that God's going to use you. And God's going to elevate you to greatness in your walk with Him. I'm not here to define what greatness is. I don't know what greatness is for your life. It could be an effective prayer warrior and intercessor. It could be an effective disciple maker. It could be a missionary or a church planner. I don't know what that that greatness in your life is. That, that's for God to determine. But I know this, you'll never get there in the crowd. You'll never get there in the crowd. He's always going to pull you off to the class of isolation. See, the day comes when the tide turns and suddenly we're pushed into a place of service that obscurity has prepared us for didn't even know we were prepared for it didn't even know it was time but all of a sudden we, we we never even heard pomp and circumstance we never heard the band strike up we didn't know it was a commencement we had no idea people had on their caps and gowns and were there we just stepped out one day and there it was God was ready to use us do you know any of these men Asinenerichus Phalagon Hermas Paterobus or Hermes? Do you know those men? Of course you don't know those men. Very few in here know these men. And if you say you know them, I'm going to call you out and ask you where you know them from. Because you know why you don't know them? Because they were just some men in the early church. But they were in very important cause. In the advancement of the church in the New Testament because Romans 16 and 14 mentions all of them by name when Paul says salute Asenarchus and Phalagon and Hermas and Paterobus and Hermes and the brethren that are with them these men were so very important to the Apostle Paul to him they were world changers but if you are looking for history to be written down here it will be written, but it will be written in the word, in the, in the view of a world that is written much different than what we think it is. God will immortalize those who have lived quietly, 
godly and righteous lives in this dark and dirty world. You don't have to stand on a platform to be used of God. You don't have to stand in a spotlight to be recognized of God. But he will take notice. Listen to me. He will take notice of purity. God will take notice of character. God will take notice of cleanliness and holiness in this confused world. If you want God to know who you are, take a look at the world. Amen. That, uh, 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 and, and see what they lift up as idols and what they celebrate and flip it because that's what God celebrates. God doesn't celebrate people who are out for themselves, but he celebrates people who want to put the kingdom first. Take a look at who the world takes notice of. It's sickening. They, they have elevated the starlets of Hollywood. They have exalted political figures as people that we are to emulate. And these are people that if you were a smart person, you wouldn't leave them in your house unattended. Are you, are, are you with me right now? And, we, and man, the media just exalts them as the greatest people ever. Oh, these people are wonderful. And, and, and they're corrupt, evil people. And they celebrate them. And they gush at the accomplishments of athletes who do great on a field but are a terror off the field. Exalted in time, but in eternity, they're going to be completely forgotten. But not Xenarchus and Phalagon and Aramis and Paterabus and Hermes would not have even garnered a second glance from this world. But just as the tides roll in and the tides roll out and the moons go through its phases and the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, men will rise from the dust of obscurity and they will be championed because God will not forget those who serve him faithfully. God will not forget those who are willing to serve him no matter how obscure it may be, no matter how isolated they may be. God will not never forget the name of those who are always willing to put his kingdom first and it doesn't matter if you do the most menial task in the church or if you lead a service when you do it unto the Lord listen to me God does not turn a blind eye to that you will always be remembered by God all of the best men are not in the forefront these men that Paul mentions fought a noble battle in a very paganistic society that was filled with the prevalence of, of heathenism and hedonism and all kinds of wickedness and idolatry but they did not bend their knee and they did not backslide and they did not betray the doctrine there was Stephen who waited tables and Stephen who worked miracles and Stephen that was mightily used of God but yet he never pastored a church amen and he was the first martyr of the New Testament church and we remember him for his greatness not in life but his greatness and his faithfulness unto death listen to me when Stephen was stoned he was alone God had prepared him for the isolation that it takes to be great where would Dwight Eisenhower be without his troops on that overwhelming day 
in June of 1944. Where would George Patton be without his tank corps? A man that pressed Rommel out of North Africa. Where would George Washington be without his men on that Delaware cold winter night? Where would Ronald Reagan be without his obscure speechwriter by the name of Peggy Noonan? I'm telling you, greatness is always, greatness is always recognized by those who are faithful to God. You don't have to be at the headlines. Just work in the kingdom. Just give God everything you got. And in due time, God's going to reveal your mission. Greatness, number three, greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. The first lesson of obscurity teaches us dependence on God. The second lesson of obscurity teaches us humility. And the third lesson of obscurity is that it teaches us that greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. Obscurity is one of the privileges or one of the principles of divine selection. This is exactly what God was doing in Gilead with the prophet. Gilead was east of the Jordan River. It was a wild, rocky, mountainous region, and its citizens matched the country. The country turned him into a man. Listen to me. Don't curse your geography. I'm going to say it again. I, I, I don't know if you caught that. Don't curse your geography. No one wanted to live in Gilead. It was a bunch of roughneck, country bumpkin, wild people. There wasn't any beautiful top topography there at all. But God sent the prophet there to prepare him. Don't curse your geography. It is in the plan of God. We can't all live in Maui or Hawaii. Gilead was a rough place. It was a place where thieves and outlaws ran to. It was not the genteel place boasted of by culture and charm. But these obscure places are what God's design seems to be. He appears to revel in preparing men and women in places like this and then pulling them out suddenly and pushing them onto the national scene. God's hands are not limited by geography. Hear me. In John 1 and 46, the Bible said, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto them, Unto him, Come and see. It's an old pattern. God always places us in obscurity in places we would never choose, in places we'd never want to be, in places we would never pick, in places we would not think is where we want to be. But it's an old pattern of how God works. He called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees. He moved Moses from a wilderness in Midian. He found Nicodemus on the Sanhedrin council. He took Joseph of Arimathea and removed him from the aristocracy of Jerusalem. Amen. He dealt with Cornelius, who was a Roman citizen. He set up saints in the Caesar's household. He had half a heathen Gilead. Amen. He called Elijah out of that heathenistic place to be a prophet of God. Because for every Jezebel that you find on this earth, God is going to raise up an Elijah. For every ungodly thing, God is going to raise up a righteous thing. Can there any good come out of Nazareth? Is it possible? Out of that dump of a place? 
Is it really, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? There is a great danger sometimes in mistaking noise for power and activity for zeal. Some very important ingredients of the apostolic church can come from very obscure things. Don't miss this. Not everything that's going rah-rah is of God. I said not everything that's going rah-rah is of God. Not everything making noise is of God. Not everything moving is of God. It's in the small places of life that great things can rise. God has a meticulous plan allowing the quiet and withdrawn places to shape our character. The two-talent man has no need to be jealous of a five-talent man because there's much potential in the two-talent man developing his gifts as there is in a five-talent man developing his gifts. Yet this can only happen, listen, it can only happen if we submit to God's school for greatness, which is the withdrawn places of obscurity and isolation. I'm almost done, but listen to me, Naaman. Some of us get Naaman syndrome. A lot of humans get Naaman syndrome, and it can swallow up much effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Naaman's difficulty was that he did not want to submit to Jordan's muddy waters. Naaman didn't have a problem getting wet. It was the location. He didn't have a problem dipping in the water, just not those waters. That was beneath him. Naaman didn't want Jordan's muddy waters. Instead, he wanted to go back to the crystal clear waters of Abana and the Parapar rivers. That's where he wanted to go. Abana and Parapar could only provide relief. Amen. But Jordan supplies healing. Abana and Parapar is more appealing, but Jordan is saving. Abana and Parapar will serve self, but Jordan will serve the spirit. The rivers of Abana and Parapar are man's way, but Jordan is God's way. Amen. The rivers of Abana and Parapar caters to our pride, but Jordan, Jordan rests in our humility. The rivers of Abana Abana and Parapar extravagant, amen, in the world's eyes. But Jordan, Jordan, the muddy, obscure waters of Jordan are extravagant in God's eyes. Be careful in following the path of least resistance because greatness always comes in the place you least expect it. Naaman was so concerned with greatness that he almost died with leprosy. And these are the antics of an immature person. They want it their way. God, you can use me, but in the clear waters, not the muddy waters. God, you can bless me, but you bless me over here. Don't you bless me over there. Lord, I'm willing to do that, but I'm not willing to do that. I'll go there, but I won't go there. I'll witness to that one, but I won't that one. I'll knock on that door, but I won't that door. I'll pray, but I won't do this. You determine in your mind what you won't do, and God will find that very thing, and he will push you until you do it. Because if you don't want to die a leper, you'll jump in the muddy waters. Is this all right tonight? The great ticket to obscurity is that God is using it to shape our futures. If God can find us faithful in a few things. 
Matthew 25 and 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Work on in the shade of obscurity because there comes a day. Listen to me. There comes a day in the shadows of obscurity when the planet is going to rotate just enough and suddenly the full glare of the sun is going to shine on the work that you were doing in the shade if you just stay where God is calling you to in that obscurity if you hold on just long enough eventually time is going to have a way of turning things in God's divine plan and the thing you thought nobody could see and the work you were doing that you thought nobody cared about and nobody could see eventually the full blazing glory of the sun is going to shine on it do you hear me right now you've got to learn to trust God in the times of obscurity you've got to learn to trust God's hand you've got to learn to keep on working when nobody pats you on the back you've got to keep on learning to pray when nobody tells you you're doing a good job you've got to learn to keep being faithful to God when nobody's celebrating you and there's no awards program and there's no pat on the back you've got to learn to keep serving God in the shade until the earth spins enough for God to shine to the world what you've been doing Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The first lesson of obscurity is that it teaches us dependence on God. The second lesson is it teaches us humility. The third lesson of obscurity is it teaches us that greatness is always preceded by the preparation of character. Musicians, if you'll come, I want to close. It will be more often than not in the coming days of your life because we've all been there. More often than not, you will curse the seasons of obscurity. And you will feel the forsakenness of God in the shadows. I remember when God called me. God called me into full-time ministry. Well, God called me and my pastor put his foot to me. It was a little bit of hope. I had... I told God I'll go anywhere you want I did but and I meant it to a degree but there was two visions that was battling in my mind one I would go anywhere God wanted me to go that little church of 15 people with ugly 1960s dark paneling walls and burnt orange pews I'd go there that was the visions of God but the visions of flesh there was a big platform and a great choir behind me and hundreds of people there preaching with me. But I'll tell you what God did. First revival. A little town called Irwinville, Louisiana and you don't know where it's at. I promise you. Less than 200 people. 30 minutes outside of Baton Rouge. An hour and a half outside of Normans. Middle of nowhere. Don't even have a stoplight, flashing red light. It's as Cajun as Cajun gets, and it's more country than cornbread. And I went to a little obscure place, slept on a Sunday school table in the Sunday school room. It's not what I dreamed. My ministry was at a general conference somewhere, 15,000 people. I'm always amazed by people coming and say, Pastor, I've had a vision. God showed me my future. I was preaching to thousands of people, and I laughed. And I said, you had a vision, all right. It was your vision. It wasn't God's vision. 
Because it wasn't until later in life God showed me those things. Oh, my flesh saw those things. Preaching that little church, nobody wanted to preach there. I soon found out why. But we had a revival. Fourteen people in that first service. We went two weeks straight without a break. Oh, man. Fourteen brand new people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. About 20 backsliders came back into that revival. I said, boy, I'm ready for the big time. They're going to be calling my name at General Conference next year. I know it. I'm going to preach in the arena. No. I get called to Washington State. Just when I didn't think you got any worse in South Louisiana. Because at least they had good food in South Louisiana. <laughs> There's at least crawfish there. spent a lot of time in the shade. Every once in a while I come out of the shade, I go to camp. I remember going to a particular camp. It was known for evangelists showing up, looking up months of revival. It was kind of a who's who's camp meeting. And I went, happened to be the district I was from. 10,000 people out there. They had all the evangelists come up, line up on the platform. I said, my God, I'm getting my shot. 10,000 people. It was more like a cattle auction than anything. Run up and say who you were, where you've been preaching. And, and, and <laughs> I was like number 153. By the time I was up there, everybody was at the bathroom or the hot dog stand. And people were trying to make it in, or they were trying to get up there and trying to preach in that 10 seconds. My name is, and I'm from. I wanted to walk up and go, just walk off. I remember stepping off. I like to, I like to think of them as the school of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Kind of standing, man, they had, they had their suits. I mean, they had the suits and the shoes and the hair. They had the Bibles. It's back when they had day, the day runners. Remember them, the day runners? Is that what they were? The calendars that were like a leather? Man, they had them in ostrich skin. They had everything just right. Man, you could smell them before you seen them. I mean, they were just picture perfect. They looked like they were ready for a camera. I mean, just, and uh, I remember they, they'd grab and say, so uh, where you been preaching? I'd say, oh, man, I'm, I'm up in, in the northwest. Really? Where? I'd kind of put my head down and I'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm over here. Well, how far are you booked out? That was a big day. A few weeks. And they'd snicker. And they'd, I mean, I was just, I was just the, the tail end of all their jokes. I'm, I'm not talking about two or three of them. I'm talking about 10 or 15 of them just sitting there. All had the right last name. All had man. They all had nice cars and RVs that their parents bought. I mean, it was just everything was perfect. And they pull out. I remember pulling out their binders and flipping. Well, I'm booked up about 18 months right now. I just preached in this church, and you know they run about 700 people. And I just and they just started. I'm just thinking, wow, man. Here I was in the shade. I didn't. I didn't, I wouldn't say I wouldn't hurt. I walked off going. 
God, some of them got the moral character of an alley cat. Here I am, fast until my belly button falls off, preaching in no-name cities and no-name churches, but we were having revival. That first year, 907 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time. Just dig it, dig it, dig it. I kept my nose down. I didn't even worry about them cats anymore. Next thing I know, churches are calling me in California. Churches that run several hundred people, would you, would you come preach for us? Brother, I'd love to, but I've, I've got this revival. I've got to preach in a place called Yakima. You're not going to cancel Yakima? No, then I got to be in Walla Walla. Y'all think I'm joking. I'm not going to cancel these men because some big church called me. No. I was still in God's school. And I said, I'll get to you when I can. Oh, man. I'm glad I was so ignorant back then. I said, I'll get to you when I can, I promise. I said, okay, if I call you when two weeks ahead of time? Well, brother, we've got schedules. I mean, my Lord, we've got a Bible school here in our campus, and we've got uh, a school here. We, 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 we do have about 900 people here. We would highly appreciate you give us at least two months' notice. We've got programs, okay? I just pray God say, not yet. So I'd, I'd take a revival in Lewiston, Idaho. Grants Pass, Oregon. Canton, Mississippi. No-name places. And God said, okay. Man, my phone, my pastor would call me. He'd say, you need, to, you need to return their call. They're calling me. Wanting to know why you're not returning their call. These are big churches. Sorry, pastor, I'm just... I'll never forget a few years later getting a phone call from the most known evangelist in our movement saying, hey, could, could you help me out? There's a young man, and he was one of the lead ones that would make fun of me all the time for not preaching at big churches. Um, he's kind of needs some help. He needs some revivals. Could you call and book him some revivals? And I thought to myself, he ran out of his daddy's name. Because while he was thrust into the limelight first, God put me in the shade. And he worked a bunch of stuff. And when God got ready, he turned the earth just enough. That all of a sudden, I looked up and I was in the light. Listen to me. Don't rush the timing of God. I'm not talking about pulpit ministry right now. I'm talking about your life. Don't rush. Young people, there is no warp level to this. There is no secret code that you can't break through. You're still going to go through two schools. Isolation and obscurity. Mama, Daddy, let them be lonely. Because God's going to work something out in them. Would you stand with me? This is God's school for greatness. And in the midst of, is this okay for a Tuesday night? 
And in the midst of a name it and claim it and blab it and grab it, apostolic, Pentecostal fit we work ourselves in. Just claim it. Well, claim it. That's fine. But claim it in the shade. Because God's never going to let you skip a grade. Always isolation and obscurity. And the worst thing you can do is run to comfort when God's calling you to obscurity. If you're ever going to develop to be what God wants you to be, sir, ma'am, listen to me. You've got to learn stay in class until God comes. And it ain't up to me. And it ain't up to you. I wish I knew how long it was. It's okay, pastor. Two years, three years, five years. Hey, Moses, it took 40 years. David took 12 to 16 years. I don't know. But all I know is this. While he's working on me, I'm going to keep working for him. Would you lift your hands right now to offer the presence of the Lord in this place right now? Hallelujah. Come on, just let the Lord speak to you right now. Let him speak to your heart right now. Hallelujah. You will rage in the battle and the tussle with the challenges of the weariness of the wilderness and the full plan and the purpose of God is going to turn you over and over and over and older and flip upside down and inside out. You will wrestle like Jacob at Bethel. You will wrestle with that angel till you leave with a lamp. You are going to fight with everything you have. You're going to struggle. You're going to pull your hair out. You're going to wonder if God himself had forsaken you while you are in obscurity and isolation. But listen to me. It's all a part of God's plan. I preach it to somebody on a Tuesday night. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You've been wondering why am I feeling like this? Why am I going through this? I must be out of the will of God. I must be outside of what God wants me to do. I feel so by myself. I feel so obscure. I feel so isolated. I come to tell you you're exactly where God wants you to be. You've got to learn to embrace the school of greatness that God has for you and realize he's going to make an Abraham out of you. He's going to make an Elijah out of you. He's going to make a David out of you. He's going to make a Paul out of you. But he's got to do it in the shade and in the shadows first. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, if I'm preaching to you, I want to open these altars right now on a Tuesday night. I felt this the last six or seven weeks, and I feel like God's speaking to some people tonight in this place. You're struggling with the grade you're in. You're struggling with the stage you're in. Amen. But God's come to give you not a word of condemnation, but a word of comfort. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are, Jonah. He knows you're under the shade tree. He gets it. You're frustrated. He knows 
knows where you are, Elijah. He knows where you are, Abraham. He knows you're in the desert, Moses, but he's working on you right now because there's going to come a moment sooner than you realize. It'll happen in a way that you cannot imagine. His timing will be far different than what you could ever dream of. And all of a sudden, you were once in the obscurity of the shadows. And then the sun is going to shine. And the moment you've lived your life for will arrive. Come on, come on, come on. That's it. Just pour it out to the Lord. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you. And we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you. And so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus name.